Good afternoon. Thank you so much for the invitation to be a part of this series of lessons. I've been looking forward to this, and I have been very encouraged by being here today, by getting to see so many friends and friendly faces, and I really appreciate the, the work that the church here at Southwest is doing. Appreciate Cody and the elders here so much, and this has really been a blessing to me. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. The Bible and gender, that's not exactly a topic that has been frequently addressed among our brethren in years past. But we live in different times. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, the Bible mentions the men of Issachar who had an understanding of the times and knew what Israel ought to do. The time has come for God's people to think very biblically and very seriously about how we ought to address transgender types of issues that our neighbors and our friends and sometimes even our loved ones are very concerned about. Even though the Bible doesn't use words like transgender, the principles and precepts of Scripture do speak to these questions. I believe that the Bible tells us that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. In studying and preparing for this lesson, this is not an easy lesson to think about from an audience perspective. Who might be in the audience? Who might be listening to a lesson like this? There are cameras. There are internet outlets. There might be an awful lot of people listening to this audience, not least of which are the people seated in the pews right in front of me. And so I want us to try to keep in mind as we study God's word together at least three groups. First of all, Christians, people who sincerely love the Lord and want to do his will and want to know his mind. Is there any word from the Lord? Jeremiah 37 verse 17. But a second group to keep in mind, there are activists, ideologues, advocates, who are determined to reconstruct our society and social policy based on the idea that gender is not binary. I'll explain that more in just a moment. These activists are very vocal and they're very aggressive in promoting their agendas and they need to be opposed. And yet Christians are to speak the truth in love because we love people's souls because souls matter to God. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. A third group to keep in mind is this. Brethren, we need to come to terms with this. There are those among us who may be privately questioning their identity as male or female. Those people need our love. They need our unqualified support. They need biblical guidance and counsel. We need to be sensitive to them, and we need to use the light of God's word to teach them God's will. All these things said, what I want us to do for the next few minutes is I want us to study four ideas together. In the first place, I want to frame this issue of transgenderism. Maybe you've heard about it in the news. Maybe you've heard somebody give their opinion about it. It's very politicized. I don't want to approach this from a political standpoint. I just want to tell you what people are sincerely thinking who are involved with some of these things. Secondly, we're going to examine some scriptures relating to this subject. In the third place, 
we're going to bring your attention to some challenges that we as Christians face. And then finally, we need to be thinking about some approaches in our relationships with transgender people. So in the first place, let's frame the issue. I learned an awful lot in studying for this lesson about this particular subject. And I want to say this in all kindness. If there's somebody listening to the sound of my voice, I don't want to misrepresent anybody. And I don't want what I say to be taken in a way that is, that, that is demeaning or that, that I'm trying to put anybody down. I just want to talk about what people are thinking because we need to understand what other people are thinking and what they're going through if we're going to speak biblically to what's happening in their lives. So as we frame the issue, let me first of all give you the historical view. And we talk about gender, male and female. That's how God created people, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And historically, gender has always been thought of as binary, historically. A person is either male or female. And at birth, our gender is a biological reality. It's the first thing the doctor looks for when a baby is delivered. Is it a boy or is it a girl? And that biological reality, based on the biology of that child, that defines and shapes that child's future. It's the way the world has always worked. The way that we were raised and the way that we were treated by our parents, the name they gave us, the expectations that other people had for us, what our future was going to look like, the organizations and events in which we could and could not participate, the roles we would play in life, all of those things were determined by our biology, by our biological gender. Are you male or are you female? And as you think about this, there are two identity issues at play here. In the first place, there is what my biology, what my physical body says about me. And in the second place, there is what I say about myself in my mind. Everybody with me? Two things, two identity issues. What my biology really says about me and what my mind, in my, in my thinking, what I believe I am. If my biology says I'm a man... And if I agree and accept that, then no problem. But what if I don't agree with my biology? What if a person begins to entertain the idea that they are in fact a woman trapped in a man's body or vice versa? This phenomenon has a name, gender dysphoria, D-Y-S-P-H-O-R-I-A. Historically, Gender dysphoria, the idea that my biology says one thing, but I don't feel that way in my mind and my heart. Gender dysphoria historically has been classified as a mental problem. Counselors and psychologists were trained in generations gone by to treat gender dysphoria by dealing with the mental and emotional side of things. So you've got a counselor and he's going to talk to somebody with gender dysphoria. He's going to try to reshape their thinking, try to correct people's thinking. Historically, that's what counselors and psychologists have done. But now things are different. Now, many, many people struggling with gender dysphoria are doing just the opposite. The approach now is to validate my feelings about myself and to invalidate biology. Everybody with me? Historically, biology was what was the default. But now, my feelings become the default. 
The person who feels like a man trapped in a woman's body may choose to enter a process. Here's another term. The process is called transitioning. He begins to transition. It's the process of altering one's body and appearance to embrace and live as a person of a different gender. There are a panoply of surgeries available, usually costing in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. There are many thousands of people. They are your neighbors. They are your friends. And some of them are your loved ones who are currently transitioning. Because of this phenomenon, the last time I looked, it's been a while, Facebook had 58 different options for your gender classification. The 58 options include just a few of these. Agender, androgyne, androgynous, androgynous, bigender, gender fluid, gender nonconforming, gender questioning, non-binary, pangender, transgender, transsexual, transmasculine, transfeminine. Just a few of the 58. Why are there 58? Why such a spectrum? Because people who believe that they ought to be a different gender, it takes them a while. And so the spectrum exists. The fundamental question that we as Christians and all people really must deal with is this. Is my gender a matter of providence that is, God determined it, or is it a matter of preference? Is my sex determined by my decision in my mind, or is it determined by God's design in my body? Let me hasten to add this, and I want you to listen to me, brethren. If there is no God, if God does not exist then transgender reasoning is compelling. They are right. If there is no God and we are just a biological cosmic accident, wherever we came from, it makes perfect and complete sense. If I decide that my gender is wrong, it makes perfect and complete sense to enter into a process of transitioning. If there's no almighty creator who tells us what's good, then our own preferences are perfectly valid. And they can assume that role. We need to keep that in mind. That's framing the issue. Which brings us to our second thought. What does the Bible say about this? When someone is struggling with some of these ideas and these thoughts, to what passage do you turn to talk to them? Where do you go in God's word to talk about the differences and the distinctions between male and female? Well... You can, of course, go to Genesis. I mentioned Genesis 1, verse 27 just a moment ago. Open your Bibles there if you would. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. When God made man, he made man in his image, the Bible says, but then very specifically and deliberately. It says in verse 27 of Genesis 1, male and female, he created them. The word male is found some 230 times in scripture. The word female is found some 84 times in scripture. In other words, there are some clear God-given distinctions that God always from the beginning intended to exist based on biology, 
based on the way that we are designed in our bodies. Before children were even old enough, in Genesis, when Adam and Eve began to bear children, before those children were even old enough to express any gender-specific behaviors, they're just an infant lying in the crib. Before they were able to express any desires or preferences, they were identified as male and female. And brothers and sisters and friends, that's God's will. That's God's plan for mankind. He wants our biological identity the way we're born, to be the same as our gender identity. That's his will for us. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Look at verses 18 through 31. Where do you turn in God's word to talk about these matters? Where do you turn to talk about what God wants for me and for you? Romans 1 verses 18 through 31. I want you to notice in this passage that God has made two things obvious. In the first place, Romans 1, 18 through 31 teaches that God has made his divine nature obvious. Look at verses 19 and 20 of Romans 1. What may be known of God in verse 19 is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen How are they clearly seen, Paul? They are understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that people are without excuse. Paul is saying that God's divine nature is revealed to all people in the physical material universe that he has built. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork, the psalmist said. So the material, physical nature of the universe says something about the God that we ought to know and his design for humans to worship him. People are without excuse, the Bible says in this passage, when we decide that instead of worshiping the God who made all of this, that we're going to worship the creation itself. We're without excuse because God's made it obvious that he exists, that he is powerful. His divine nature is obvious. So the first thing that God has made obvious is his divine nature. But there's a second thing that God has made obvious in this chapter. Look at verses 26 and 27. Romans 1, 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. God's divine nature is obvious, verses 19 and 20. Our sexual nature is obvious, verses 26 and 27. That's what he's saying. He says, the women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, contrary to their biology. The cosmos is designed by God to reveal the truth about his identity and our biology, our anatomy, is designed by God to reveal the truth about our identity. These things are so plain and they are so obvious that we are without excuse if we do not recognize it and if we do not agree with it. So if a man looks at the world and chooses to worship a a creature 
rather than the creator. He's without excuse. But if a man looks at his own body and chooses to play the part of a woman or a woman looks, uh, chooses to play the part of a man, they are without excuse as well. When a man decides to give in to passion and act like a woman, his passion does not make that activity natural. Rather, his biology makes his passion unnatural, according to Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. The created universe is a revelation of God's design to us. We ought to listen. We ought to look to him and heed his will. Our physical bodies are a revelation of God's design. And likewise, we ought to listen. We ought to heed his will. Romans chapter 1 reminds us that God has a plan for every one of us and featuring and figuring largely in that plan is what our biology says about us. Other New Testament passages, just briefly to mention, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. You can just jot these down if you're taking notes. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Paul lists a number of sins, fornication, adultery, other matters. But two of the things he mentions have to do with homosexuality. And one of the words that he uses refers to men who act like women. They are not living in the role that God designed their physical bodies to occupy. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 16. Women being in subjection to men, the headship of men. Those roles are based on biology. They're based on our gender. 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 15. Men ought to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Women ought to learn in silence. The Bible indicates that our roles are based on our gender. As you think about this subject, let's address this third. I believe there are some challenges that every New Testament Christian needs to think about. Every one of us ought to ponder some of these challenges together. I'll give you three. The first challenge, brothers and sisters, is the challenge of relevance. Relevance. It is so easy to say, this doesn't affect me, this doesn't relate to me. I don't feel like I am needing to transition to the opposite gender. It doesn't affect anybody I know, so why should I be concerned about it? Let me give you some considerations. Our children and our grandchildren, brothers and sisters, they are growing up in a world where this is being portrayed as normal. This is being celebrated. This is being encouraged. When a young person in elementary school expresses a desire to play with a toy that is ordinarily thought of as being for the opposite gender, no longer... Do people just say, well, it's a phase? People pay attention to that and they say, that person may need to be transitioning. It's happening all around us. Our children, our grandchildren are being given a steady diet of these things. 
And so while many of the things I'm saying this afternoon may seem really strange to those of us who are of an older generation, our younger generation is growing up in the very midst of it. And Psalm 11 verse 3 still says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? We need to be talking about this and we need to be concerned about this. We need to be biblical about this. Relevance. What will be your counsel? I was talking to Brother Gerhardt a little while ago. He said that you are really trying to get involved as a congregation here at Southwest in personal evangelism. Amen. We need more brethren who want to reach the lost. What will be your counsel when a 50-year-old woman obeys the gospel and reveals that she went un- underwent a sex change surgery 30 years ago? And she's been living as a woman ever since. What does repentance look like in that situation? Don't say it's not relevant. What will we do as a congregation when a family comes to visit and their 16-year-old son is dressed as a girl? Do our young people have a biblical understanding of sexuality so that they can form a sound judgment about that? Have they been taught anything about that? What about older people and the way that we respond to people in that situation? You know, people are still made in the image of God and they still deserve to be loved and respected and gently taught the truth. And God's people have to give some attention to some of these things. You know, I preached a sermon very similar to this back in Katy a couple of years ago. I had a deacon come up to me afterwards and he said, you know, that was completely different than what I expected. I said, well, what'd you expect? He said, I was expecting hellfire and brimstone, but you gave me some things that I really feel like I need to think about. The time for hellfire and brimstone has its place, but how are we gonna reach people who think this way? That's where we are right now. Relevance. Second challenge, the challenge of conviction. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, the Bible says, Put away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. When someone we know as a man decides that he is going to begin transitioning, and he starts to ask us that we refer to him by feminine pronouns, what are we going to do? I can't lie to somebody. The Bible tells me that I need to speak truth lovingly with my neighbor. Brethren, we are not obligated to encourage or to support or to approve of or to agree with someone who is transitioning to living another gender. We're not obligated. In fact, the Bible commands us to speak the truth in love. As God's people, we need to think about these matters. Obedience to Jesus has already become more costly. And I believe in days and weeks and months to come, it will become increasingly costly for people who want to be committed to what's true and what's right because we care for souls. There's also the challenge of criticism. People who are involved in the transgender movement, they might say to us, they might say to me, What business is this of yours? 
Transgender is an issue of what somebody wants to do with their own body. This is not murder. It's not theft. It's not harming you. Leave us alone. If you think we're hurting ourselves, well, we're only hurting ourselves. So be it. What I do with my body is none of your business. It's a challenge. Two things in response. We need to speak the truth because we love our neighbor as ourselves. Matthew 22, verse 39. When someone is doing something that will harm them, will ruin their future eternity, we're not very loving toward them if we don't try to bring these matters to their attention. Secondly, we speak up because, and listen to me here, transgenderism, transitioning, it destroys relationships with others. When a person decides that they are going to transition, they drag their friends, their associates, their loved ones through this process with them. It is painful and it is divisive. People need to be made aware of that. Regardless of how I might feel, how is this going to affect the other people in my life? Jesus said to us as Christians, you are the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. But he also said, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Luke chapter 6, verse 26. There are some challenges for us to think about. Fourth, this afternoon. I care about people's souls and I want to know, how do you approach somebody? How do you talk to somebody that is transgender? How do, you, how do you approach and, and build a relationship and, and deal with some of these issues? Let's think about that together for just a few minutes. What can we do to help? I believe, first and foremost, as God's people, we need to teach and engage. Where this matter, this subject is concerned, we need to teach and engage. This does not need to be the last sermon the last Bible study that you ever have regarding these issues. We need to get as good a grasp on this question as we can, whether or not we have transgender friends or family members. We need to know what the Bible says because there are so many people around us that think this way. And we need to be ready. There may be some people listening to the sound of my voice who are struggling with gender dysphoria. You feel like something's not right, that you should have been a different gender. We want, as God's people, as the church, we want you to hear us. We are here for you. And we truly and sincerely want what's best for you. We ask you, please don't suffer silently alone. Talk to somebody that you know you can trust. And please, 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 above all things, remember this. You can and you must seek God's will for your life, even when it comes to matters of gender. We need to be educated, brethren, so that we can engage people with civility. And we need to know what we're talking about. In studying and preparing for this lesson... I want you to know one thing that I did not find. The vast majority of people who are transitioning 
are not just perverts who want to go into the women's bathroom. That is not the reason, that is not the motivation, but I hear a lot of my brethren saying things like that. That is wrong, it misrepresents what many people are doing. We need to get our facts straight if we're going to deal in love, in kindness, and in truth about these matters. We need to let what people are saying impact and and, and be heard by us so that we can respond to what they're saying. Let's not misrepresent people, let's not caricature people, and let's not just dismiss them as a political movement that we happen not to agree with. Let's engage and be informed. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3 verse 15 that we are to be ready always to give an answer for those who ask a reason for the hope that's within us. And what does the last part of that verse say? With what? With meekness and with fear. I don't know about you, but that sounds like evangelism to me. With meekness and fear, gentleness, God's people need to engage. Second thought here. As we talk about approaches and relationships, what can we do? We need to start building bridges where we can. The cashier at the store where you frequent during the week, you know that person is transitioning. Build a bridge. A coworker, maybe a loved one. Don't isolate. Build a bridge. Well, what do you mean, John? How do you build a bridge with somebody like that? I mean, and I know this is a controversial idea, talk to them like a human being and listen to what they have to say to you. And maybe after you've built kind of an informal friendship, let's visit about some things. What do you think about this activity or that involvement? After you've built a little bit of familiarity, how about saying something like this? You know, I'd like to sit down and hear your story. And I'd like to understand what it's like to be you. And I'd like, to, I'd like to know how you got to where you got to. And then, here's the key, just listen. Listen to what they are saying. Don't form judgments, just listen to what they're saying. I'm telling you, people don't feel like Christians are very good listeners. And they may have a lot of evidence to support that assumption. Listen to what people are saying. Why did you make this decision? What kinds of reasoning? I'm saying that the vast majority of people that we're able to help and reach, they're going to be helped and reached, not because they hear a sermon like this one. They're going to be helped and reached because we had a meek, gentle, and approachable spirit, because we cared about them as a human being, and because we showed the love of Christ to them. That's what I'm saying. And I believe I have a biblical warrant for saying that. We need to engage with people in our community and in our lives and build bridges where we can. How else are we ever going to communicate God's word? Third, approaches and relationships. Somebody starts talking about this subject and a lot of people want to throw their hands up and shake their heads and say, what's the world coming to? I'm glad that, glad that this didn't happen in my youth. I'm glad that this wasn't something I had to deal with when I was preaching. I hear those things all the time. But brethren, the same God that was on the throne 50 years ago is the same God who is still on the throne today. 
He is powerful. He is mighty. And we need to put more than ever our trust in an all-loving and an all-powerful God. Our society did not get where it is right now overnight. We didn't just wake up one morning and decide that this was something that all of us wanted to embrace. No, this happened gradually. And if and when the day comes that our society changes its mind collectively about some of these matters, that's not going to happen overnight either. So what do we do in the meantime? We listen to the words of our Lord. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, he said, the church, the kingdom is a leavening influence. Leaven hidden in a measure of dough. And that leavening influence that the church is to have, it has an impact on the world around it. What I'm saying is this. God can take your life and mine. He can take your words and mine. And he can magnify those things to his glory. In fact, he promises to do just that. God has designed us. He's designed our bodies to reveal his intentions for us, his will for us. Let's be firm in our stand. Let's be gracious in our approach. Let's be concerned for souls regarding issues and matters like this. Thank you very much for your attention this afternoon.